welcome to Searching for Mana, the podcast that investigates the mana. That's the superpower in some of the most influential leaders who are building the future in tech innovation and finance. I'm Lloyd Wahead, a London-born entrepreneur and headhunter with over 15 years experience on a mission to discover what drives our guests to succeed. How have they got to the top? What attributes have excelled in their career? Listen to find out. Welcome to Searching for Mana. Shahar, Bialik, welcome on to Searching for Mana. Thank you. Happy to be here. Pleasure to have you on the show. Shahar founded Curve around 2015. Absolutely excited to have you on the show. One of the real big fintech businesses. And so super excited to go through a few things on the show as ever. We're going to talk about what is going on right now with Curve and get an understanding of the company, the team, and some of the exciting plans that um, they have ahead. Just, just in brief, global expansion, I believe. We, we will go into Shahar's bio, which started with technical engineering education, a uh, little stint in the, the military, and then really ever since then has been a serial entrepreneur. And then we'll, we'll, we'll finish with some, some, some future predictions. I don't want to. I don't want to get it wrong, but I mean, broadly speaking, Curve I think has raised circa plus 150 million dollars. We're just through Series C. Yeah. I don't know how many people you have in the business, but it's a few hundred, uh, I think. And you guys are right now. We are in May 2021. Crowdfunding. So, so perhaps you could talk us through that. Indeed. So we indeed have raised a, a bit over $170 million to date in three series, series A, B, C. And of course, it was a seed series, the early stage. Um, we funded Curve in 2015. We launched Curve at, uh, to the market in January 2018 after granting all the licenses required from the likes of MasterCard. And today we have uh, about 386 employees as of last Monday. And we're growing pretty significantly uh, or plan to grow pretty significantly over the next uh, coming months. Uh, probably going to reach you successfully. If we'll be able to hire fast enough, uh, we'll, be, we'll reach around 500 people. Uh, and as I said, indeed, we have started to uh, initiate our second crowdfunding campaign. Uh, in 2019, uh, we had our first crowdfunding campaign where we broke uh, basically most records on Crowdcube and uh, raised the first million in five minutes. Um, and a total of 5.7 million pounds, I believe, or 5.8 million pounds in less than five hours. And one of the things we've seen when we have launched uh, the crowd, since we launched the crowdfunding campaign in 2019, is that uh, those 10,000 or so investors that uh, are also our customers, when you look at their retention cohorts, engagement, and referrals, so how many people they refer, and the length of the referrals, so the lifetime referral, it's extraordinary. And we've seen retention of over 85% for those cohorts and their lifetime referrals. Uh, usually it's a month or two months. People refer other people. Uh, those uh, crowdfunders and customers uh, continue to refer even beyond the 12 months uh, lifetime, which basically means it's a very good way to bring your customer closer to the company and create evangelism uh, around the brand. 
so with that, we decided, uh, and of course, a lot of customer demand, uh, we decided to go on a second crowdfunding campaign. Uh, we're looking to raise a million pounds, the initial goal, as we had last time. And we'll see how the demand goes. We might be able to increase it uh, even beyond that, like we have last time. So exciting. One of the things that you guys, amongst just, you know, as I hear you talk there, many things that you've nailed is, is, is getting the brand out there and it being really distinct. And you can also almost feel from the marketing, the culture that exists in the business. You had a campaign that certainly uh, I was aware of because it was on billboards everywhere where it was, uh, it was really cool. It was, you know, to do with different karaoke songs and how to relate that to the brand. Perhaps you could just hit us with a couple of those, Sasha. <laughs> yeah, indeed. So, so we had a, one of our most successful campaigns is the above the line campaigns we've had is um, a campaign that ran across uh, uh, the biggest cities in uh, Britain, uh, London, of course, one of them. And uh, you could see on a huge billboard, uh, tap me baby one, one more time. Uh, <laughs> or I've got, I've got um, 99 cashback and so forth. So like you had this humming uh, songs that we all grew up on, uh, but we, of course, uh, made them more compatible to our market. Uh, and it tells you a lot about uh, our brand and how it works. I can tell you, building a brand um, as a startup is really hard. And the founder is really in and out, not only the culture in the company, but the brand and the culture that is presented outside. It took me quite a while to find uh, the right tone of voice, the right type of brand, the colors, the digital identity. Uh, we tried it with many different external agencies. And eventually, uh, we found a remarkable talent, Katie, and she joined the company. And she was able to download this corner in my brain that had this vision of the brand uh, remarkably well. Uh, we knew that we are different than everyone else. We knew we were challenging the status quo. So we knew that our brand needs to be that of a rebel brand. And rebel colors, the black, white, and red all over it. And we knew that also money really matters as much as means to an end and the end really that we all uh, aspire for is to celebrate life which is kind of my own personal family motto uh, that my wife brought uh, with her and i brought this family motto to my company which is let's all celebrate life that's how we can impact and delight our customers so a lot in our marketing kung fu you would see uh, that notion of celebrating life and that notion of delight you can see it in our social media and the way we interact with our customers and how we differentiate from other brands. And uh, you can see definitely in this campaign that we went above the line, which is extremely successful. And we're probably gonna get back to that again. It involves music, it involves experiences, uh, and it doesn't involve much about finances because when you realize mon money is means to an end, you realize that the focus is on the outcome, the impact to our customers. And that's our goal, to make your life uh, much more fun. Well, what a brilliant goal. And a lot of the most successful marketing is where it, it strikes a chord and it's emotive in preference to, you know, here's a product description. And so one of the things that we're finding, sort of stopping you, we're finding with this campaign was that people started humming that down the subway, so <laughs> the tube. So they were going to the tube and they started humming the song. And by humming the song, you got connection to emotional connection. Was remarkable to sit out on this campaign. Simple words on a wall, and it carries on with you for the entire day. I think, I think we've we've kind of given a a brief 
update on 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 some scale of the business and given a, a view into you know Katie being able to take out the corner of your mind what what type of brand you would like perhaps you could just also be so kind for any of the audience who might not know you know technically what what curve does what it's what its user case is please yeah so I always like before explaining curve uh, or before moving forward in, in, in many items to go backwards. So when it comes to curve and we have the time, of course, to talk about it, we, we first start uh, talking about 2015, what happened back then in the UK and Europe, even before that. The UK uh, was amongst the trailblazers, the North Star, when it came to uh, financial regulation and increasing competition in the market. In 2009, uh, amongst the leaders of PSD1 and then open banking and then PSD2, and that ensured that uh, many more companies can come to the market and provide better services, faster, better, cheaper financial services uh, to the market, to the customers. Uh, in 2015, if you look back, uh, you would see the beginning of the unbundling of the bank. Uh, there were a host of fintechs uh, growing and popping up everywhere across UK and Europe, and each of them uh, took a certain aspect and uh, business that line that the bank previously done and just did it better. Better FX, cheaper FX, better way to save money, better way to budget, better way to uh, get loans for businesses and, and consumers. And when that happened, uh, the question I had in mind is, what's the end game? Let's fast forward five years from 2015. What would happen in the market? And it, it, uh, by looking, merely looking at other markets that experience similar unbundling, what I've discovered is that the end game would be a convergence, rebundling. The market cannot continue to fragment itself forever because it creates a lot of confusion for customers and eventually they won't be able to enjoy all those services because there are just too many of them, especially when it comes to money, that it's already quite complicated uh, to start with. And, and you when you see other markets like uh, uh, music with Spotify, commerce with Amazon, TV with Netflix, it always began with unbundling and eventually converged towards the category kings in rebundling. So I knew that the market will eventually converge. Uh, it might take time. But the question I had is, what would be that race car that I need to build to be able to win that market, to win that race towards convergence? And I'm patient. So... This is where we start to form our hypothesis for the market, hypothesis for the product that fits that need in the market. I've looked at different models that existed back in the time. The obvious one was a bank. But when you start drilling into banks, you realizing pretty soon that actually banks are doing a pretty good job with your money. Uh, their job that banks are supposed to do with your money is to keep it safe. That's their only job. And in fact, if you really think of a bank, a bank... Uh, is has a specific job within the ecosystem of economy, which is to multiply money into the ecosystem, create the economy by money multiplication. So banks are actually doing a great job keeping my, my money safe. And most people who bank today with Western world banks in here, especially in Europe and the UK, they don't have a challenge in that aspect of their bank. They have other challenges with their bank that it's not customer centric. They're charging too many fees, sometimes without even being transparent to the customer. They're providing poor customer experience, but is it real expectation from your bank? Do you can you really expect your bank to do so? And the answer is pretty much no. It's not in their DNA. It's not in their culture. It's not how banks work. Uh, so it's not a bank. So what's the solution then? 
We then moved into a potential wallet uh, and we looked at the various uh, solutions that exist in the market and Apple Pay back then just popped up into the uh, ecosystem and uh, we identified that really a wallet is not a solution for two reasons. The first reason is that a wallet is too much of a jump between the current behavior and infrastructure to um, a very uh, distant future in the way Apple Pay will be acceptable everywhere uh, you will not be able to. You will be able to spend more than thirty pounds on the Apple Pay, and uh, and the same for Google Pay, Samsung Samsung Pay. That still uh, encounter those problems. The second reason is that really the solution is to appeal and enable to all customer base, but Apple Pay in UK and Europe were blocking access to their NFC. So you could only serve the wallet solution to Android devices. Yeah. So that wasn't the right approach as well. So what is the right approach? So we start operating on first principles, which is what the product needs to do. So the first thing it needs to do is the ability to converge all in one into one place because that's the end game, rebundling. The second thing it needs to do is not change your bank because your bank is doing a great job keeping your money safe. It has insurance and you trust them. So let's not do that. The third thing it needs to do is the ability to, to have both read and write access. Today in open banking terms, it's called AISP and PISP, but back then open banking was non-existent. So we need to find a solution, create open banking ourselves in a way that allows us to both get read access to the account and write access to the account to be able to move money between different bank accounts and different jobs to be done that people need to do with money. And that first principles draws us to a conclusion that the way to be able to win that race, the type of car and need to build a Formula One car and need to build for this Formula One race is a solution that sits on top of all the other financial product, uh, products and services, does not compete with them, does not change behavior, does not change the infrastructure, yet can bring it all together into one place with read-write access. And that's where Curve came about. When Curve came about uh, to the market and we found the solution of what needs to happen, which is what we refer internally as an over-the-top platform, the infrastructure layer which basically connects multiple networks that exist in the market into an open banking layer that we have created, proprietary open banking layer, that has read-write access that we can consume to create this beautiful experience. Uh, we knew we had to also create a card because people are using card and that also a very good hook, all your cards in one, one card to rule them all. Uh, and that hook can also allow us to evolve from all your cards in one to all your money in one place, which is exactly where the game or the pack is being aimed to. So we went to MasterCard. Back in the time, Visa was in a turmoil of uh, separating Visa Inc. in the US from Visa Europe uh, and, and, and merging them together. Uh, so we went to MasterCard and uh, I sat in a room with the leadership of MasterCard in Europe and told them the same discussion we just started having now and the vision of convergence that will happen uh, in three to four to five years from now. Um, I've, I've been left out of the room uh, when we've done that. And the reason is because uh, in the rules of MasterCard, you cannot do that. Um, uh, kind of all your cards in one converging multiple networks into one card. Um, but one brave soul at MasterCard, then after I left the room, just came and, and tapped my shoulder and told me, you know what? I, I really like what you're doing. I really like, believe in the idea. Let me give you a waiver. Try it out on a, in the UK on a small population and see how it works. Get us the data. We don't promise anything, but if the data meets the hypothesis, we might be able to bring others with us. And thanks to this brave soul, uh, Darren Deal at MasterCard, still there, 
uh, curve today exists. Without him, it would not exist to begin with. And indeed, we've launched Invita in February 2016, and since then started to acquire much more data and much more customers. We were only limited to sole uh, solopreneurs, freelancers, small business owners. That was the waiver, so we couldn't go to the full retail market. And with that uh, data, a year and a bit later, uh, uh, we met with Mastercard leadership team in New York. And we presented the hypothesis again, and now we have data to substantiate the hypothesis. And the outcome of that meeting was extremely successful, and Mastercard decided to adopt new rules to support this innovative product in the market. And indeed, a few months later, we've launched in January 2018 uh, out of beta and to the full market in the UK and Europe. And since then, we've been grown immensely. If we start from zero in January 2018, about uh, three plus years from now uh, ago, we now have more than 2.2 million customers, I think about 2.35 customers, million customers across the UK and EEA. And uh, half of our customer base are actually based in Europe, uh, where we didn't do any marketing effort. We don't have any awareness, from, at least not from our side. It's really our customers grew organically within that. And this year, we're doubling down on Europe, of course. And what attracts customers to Curve are various hooks. There's the obvious hook, all your cards in one, but uh, we've introduced more and more capabilities into the product, and each one of those capabilities is addressing a different need uh, from the customer that brings them into our platform. But once they're on the platform, they're enjoying all the other uh, relevant services we provide them for their jobs to be done with money. So uh, another hook which was very successful in Europe is the ability to make all their cards work with Apple Pay, Google Pay, and Samsung Pay. And the reason is because most of the banks in Europe are pretty much behind and haven't connected their uh, bank cards with the likes of Apple Pay, Google Pay, and Samsung Pay. So we allow customers to enable all their cards to the 21st century and make them uh, upload contactless, which is even more important uh, uh, -pand during the pandemic, where it's becoming a health hazard to put a card in and pin uh, into the machine. Um, another hook was the ability to go back in time and move transaction from card A, account A to account B. This provides customers greater flexibility. An example of that was that pre-pandemic in January, February last year, customers made shopping. They bought some expensive shoes, uh, some expensive clothes, expensive vacation, then pandemic hit, and suddenly they, they had to get more cash because they were fallout or uh, heightened, uh, uh, um, heightened expenses. Uh, in the very first weeks of a uh, pandemic. At that moment of time, we've increased immediately uh, uh, the ability of customers to go back in time from 30 days to 90 days and allowing customers to move transactions they've made on their checking account and move it to their credit cards. By doing so, freeing more cash on their checking account so they can go pay their bills and not worry too much about their finances. Another hook is the ability to go travel anywhere in the world, use any currency you want, and not thinking about it too much because Curve makes a conversion in real time and saves you up to three to four percent effort speeds. If you, whereas if you would use your direct uh, bank card uh, at the store, and there's many more into that. But today, Curve uh, has become uh, or is approaching. We still have a long way to go, but it's approaching its super app vision. It's financial super app that basically allows customer to spend, send, see, and save their money all from one place without the need to go and um, sign up uh, separately to other products and services. Yeah, and it makes 
everything so much more <clears throat> simple, which is which is which is the key, I think, to to this product. I mean, if you look at if you're watching the video here, if you look at my wallet, in there there would be eight different cards, I think, and they all have different uses. And as you say, my 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 traditional bank. I really don't have any reason to to leave that traditional bank, but what I absolutely do have is the need for perhaps better UX on a particular accounting tool. I have a business card, I have a credit card, and so you know to be able to do a few things that you provide, which is a for this to be on one card, b for me to be able to in reflection consider where perhaps actually it should have come from. It's amazing. I was, I was really excited when that feature came out. And then also, like you say, to, to just be able to independently spend in different territories are, are also useful. What I also picked up on when you were talking uh, us through all of that is a couple of things about you as an entrepreneur. So how you worked through in 2015 or slightly pre it, how you were going to approach creating the racing car and you said, and I have patience, is really interesting to me. So I think that's an appropriate point for us to, to maybe go back and try and understand you and how you got to that point of being able to work through, you know, down a five, 10 year path, what you thought a product should look like. And I think we have to say that you, you're pretty correct there. I, I don't know why you wanted to build a Formula One car. Perhaps you should have tried to build a, a Le Mans car. You know, something that was twenty four seven durable, more appropriate for patients than a than a Formula One. But a um, good analogy, anyway. So the question I've got is, when can you really think about the the first time, if you go back, that you started wondering, you know, what you might do for your career or your profession? When was that that moment when you first started thinking about what what you'd be? So, like many things in life, it just happened. Uh, I've, I've been to, as I said, in special forces in Israel, and I got injured with a few of my friends in the unit, and my profile, my health profile got low, so I couldn't operate in the unit anymore, and I, me and my friend uh, got released from the military, and we were thinking what we're going to do, and one of the things you are... Um, who were lucky to be exposed in the military, some new technologies that happening in the market. And one of them was uh, the, the, the power of WAC telecommunication protocols. And just to the listeners or an audience that don't too young to remember, uh, back in the time before smartphones, we had those Nokia phones or flip phones. And the way to integrate, to, the way to interact between those kind of feature phones with the internet was a protocol, a gateway called WAP. Uh, uh, protocols that allowed us to basically move information from the internet uh, into the phone through the SMS network. Today we have IPMAP POP3, but back then it was a real innovation. And we had this idea of, uh, in the market where you want to sell things secondhand as a car or something else, you have to go to uh, call the newspaper, pay a, a huge amount of money comparable to what you get, uh, wait a week. Uh, for the paper to publish that ad, and then you just wait next to your phone on a Friday because that's when the paper is published. If you got some phone calls, great. If not, you're done. You have to wait for the next week. And sometimes people can miss it, and 
and and you you just not good enough experience. So we thought well, maybe we can make it better. How about we have a website that allows you to publish a, an ad on your on your car, and if someone is looking for a similar car, similar model, similar price, they immediately get an SMS and they immediately tap the SMS and call you. So the experience becomes from a paying a huge amount of money and waiting a week for someone to maybe call you to uh, putting an ad that costs us almost, almost nothing because there's no manufacturing or paper or distribution and someone can sign up and immediately get an SMS and call you. But to do so, we had to develop a WAP protocol. Uh, to, to cut the story short, uh, that technology we developed that we commercialized from what we knew in the military uh, was then sold to a small company back in Israel and we didn't even manage to develop and fulfill what we had an idea as a classified ad. We just made a buck uh, in a very short time. And that's kind of the bug that uh, comes into you, where you can work with a remarkable set of people and, and create nothing, uh, create something from, from nothing and, and get nice compensation for that. Uh, and that was the beginning of the journey of entrepreneurship. Uh, it wasn't sufficient to my mom because kind of, what are you doing in life? I'm an entrepreneur. She's like, does it come with a degree? It's like, no. <laughs> so go study. So I did went study and, and the second time. So I was um, making a lot of noise at school. So when I was uh, 16, school sent me to university. Uh, so I can be uh, not disturbing in class. So I went and studied computer science when I was 16, 17, until the age of 18. It's a special program where in three years, you earn half a degree. So you, you, go to, you have to go to the military in Israel at the age of 18. And uh, so the goal is that when you finish the military, you can go back to the university and complete a degree. In my case, I decided not to go and complete the computer science degree. I thought that I understand enough how to speak with engineers and build technologies, and I don't want to be an engineer myself. I wasn't that good to be an engineer myself. I, I found remarkable people much better and love it much more than I did. And so I said, I need to know, learn more about business. I, I've had my first experience in, in selling a company or technology in a company, and I, I felt how much I don't know enough. So I said to my mom, okay, I'm going to go study uh, law and economics. So I, I went to study law and economics in Tel Aviv University, and the bug of entrepreneurship does not leave you. You can't go back. So during that, I opened my second company. During my degree, I opened my second company, uh, selling uh, it's an e-commerce uh, website for selling security products. And that company was uh, sold uh, later in, uh, in, in my career around uh, 2000 and eight, I believe, or nine, um, and uh, finished my degree in, in law and economics and went did an internship in law because I have to be a lawyer. Again, Jewish family, <laughs> it's just kind of, you have to be a lawyer or a doctor. So I went becoming a lawyer, uh, finished my internship, and then uh, opened uh, my fourth company. In between, uh, uh, my friends from the unit also uh, opened, uh, and myself opened an NGO, uh, that basically grew medical cannabis in Israel. And in 2010, we legalized that. And there's a background story with my father who had cancer and, and unfortunately passed away. So how I got familiar uh, with medical cannabis. Uh, but moving story forward, um, the last company in Israel I built was an HR company uh, allowing um, employers to uh, access a huge amount of graduates from all universities in Israel and be able to manage the recruitment process and onboard them into their business, applicant tracking system. And that was sold to a large group back then called Machshavot Group. It was owned by 
um, family, if you'd like, and the sons and daughters enough to continue in the business. So they've acquired us. There was not much to acquire in terms of revenue or others, but we had a very strong team that knew how to uh, spin up businesses. Uh, so they acquired us, I became the CEO there, and my job was to basically make the company more healthy and be able to set it onwards, uh, which I've done successfully uh, in 20, late 2012. Uh, and that time I, I've had enough. It was, if you think about it, from 2018, uh, sorry, from, uh, from age 18 to age almost 30, I've been working for 12 years my ass off. So just uh, told uh, my family and friends, I'm out, my co-founder remained in the company until 2014 when the, when the company bought Machlavot and, and fulfilled their call option for the other 50% and went to a, a year off, or at least what I thought to be a year off because my mom again goes, what do you mean a year off? Go study. So I went to study at INSEAD, an MBA in Singapore, and then uh, moved to France to complete the MBA there. And Sasha, then- just to, just, to, just to cut in at that point, because that's, that's a key point. Up to that point, just pre-going to take the MBA, would you, if you went back and thought how you were feeling about that journey at that point, feel that you'd been successful? Or at that point, was there still a lot of weight on your shoulders and felt like, you know, if you reflect back on it now, of course, you learned so many things as an entrepreneur. There was success. You sold things. Uh, you built teams. But at that point, for you, was it frustrating? Was it stressful? It, it was, of course, stressful. You're working hard and starting to build businesses and, and work with large teams. Uh, but I thought I was successful. And I thought so until I got slapped at INSEAD. Because when you go to INSEAD, <laughs> uh, you really, um, you're lucky because you're working with the greatest minds. You, you, you're starting with the greatest minds that, that exist. Remarkable people, remarkable character, characters, and, and basically, most of the people there were more su- successful than me, seen the world more than me, traveled more than me, worked with different cultures than me. Uh, so you start to understand that my environment around me in Israel, I was amongst the best, uh, if I'm allowed to be arrogant for a second. But when I came to Seattle, I was like, wow, there's a lot more to go. Mm-hmm. And that's what is beautiful about being uncomfortable and constantly challenging yourself, which I'm telling to my team, because you think you're good, you don't really know how good you can get. And it's about training and coaching them, which we'll, we'll get back, back to that probably uh, soon, uh, training and coaching them to show them what they're able to become because people do not know what they're able to do. And I was one of those. I, I did not know how good looks like until I got to Inseada and I saw remarkable people around me, smarter than me, more experienced than me, did more than me, have more money than me. It just everything was, was a, lot of, a lot of those were just better than what I thought good looks like. And indeed, I didn't say it was a remarkable time, and it gives you a lot of time, and it's really a luxury. Uh, and anyone who can do that, I recommend highly to go to an MBA, um, yeah, not online. You enjoy an MBA, not the curriculum necessarily. You can open a book and, and learn about it or on the job. Uh, but an MBA gives you, especially in that experience, an ability to build a unique network and work with people, uh, extraordinary people that you unlikely have been able to work with them beforehand. Uh, and um, it also gives you a year where you are left to your own device. You have nothing to do but to f- focus back into yourself and center, center yourself and understand what is it exactly you want to do in life. Am I happy with where I am right now? What's my next journey in my career? 
where do you want to be in terms of family? And it was always obvious to me that I, I do want to have a family and I want to have children and it's very important for me. But at the same time, I, I want to make an impact. I want to do something that people recognize and makes an impact. I want to leave a legacy beyond just my family. And, and that it was constantly a driving force in everything I've done, starting from especially forces down to each and every startup I've made. And uh, with that, I realized that one of the things that I'm most attracted to, and I know it sounds geeky and boring, is payments. And there's a lot that happens in payments that can be improved. And I knew that I don't know, I know some from my previous work, but I don't know enough about that. So with that in mind, uh, and the second thing, by the way, I learned is that I've never been an employee in my life. Aside from a stint as an intern, which is not really an employee, it's just a, kind of a, a unique position in, in a law firm. Uh, I've never been an employee in my life. So a lot of the discussions that happen inside about employee and cultures and politics and organization, I've never experienced that. I've never experienced that because we were smaller teams than most large corporates, so we didn't have much politics. And I've never experienced that because I was always in senior management, I was always a CEO. So I was unaware of the impact of my words, of my actions on cultures and, and those internal networks that exist in an organization that you're just not aware of, mostly. So with that in mind, I decided I need to be an employee. I need to learn uh, what happens on the other side of the equation. And at the same time, I also want to learn more about payments. So I knew I cannot go to a large corporate. I, I will fail. I don't know. I'm not a political animal. And I knew I didn't want to go to a small startup. I need to find something in the middle and it needs to be in payments. So I decided to go uh, to London, uh, an English-speaking uh, country, lots of talents there in finance and payments, and joined back then a small company called Checkout.com. I was very lucky to work with uh, one of the most extraordinary minds I've met, uh, Guillaume Posad, the founder and uh, CEO of, of Checkout, and an expert when it comes to payments technologies. What stage uh, were they at when you, you joined them? They had 10 people in London and about 30 people in Mauritius. Oh, wow. And I've joined oh. as the first head of product there. Uh, so very early stage. And you were with them for, therefore, a few, a couple of years, and you ended up or, or were head of product, right? Exactly a year, John, as the first head of product there. Uh, it was a funny journey. Like I, I came to the company, knew, didn't know much about payments. Guillaume did me a crash course by meeting with me a few hours every day and by me asking questions that I thought were clever questions and him uh, telling me, give me, I remember that, give me like three books this this size of Visa and MasterCard on my table, I was like, read that, uh, which I have, of course, diligently, <laughs> back, um, cover to cover. And it was the best advice I could have got because there's a lot you can learn from those rules of MasterCard and Visa that have been developed for the past 60 years. And uh, then I got my first mission there, which is, a very old, ugly, inappropriate gateway for the type of company and mission Guillaume had, and told me, fix that. So I started getting into code base and understanding what the capabilities there are and finding a vision for the product uh, for checkout. And uh, very quickly, I realized that there's no way you can fix that. You have to restart the entire thinking, rebuild the product from scratch. It was a bold move um, because obviously as a company and startup, you have to create fast results. I was able to convince Guillaume that the right approach is to rebuild the product from scratch and leverage the data and the checkout mechanism happening in the digital world. And 
access this growing payments space in a way that no other is doing that aside from Stripe and Adyen back in the time. Within a year, uh, I, I, I'm able to release an alpha version of the gateway. And um, after that year, uh, I realized that I, this bug of entrepreneurship can't leave me to move on. Um, so, which is which, which is interesting because you, you say he's one of the most impressive people that you've come across, worked with. So you, that's the only way, typically, that someone who's a burning entrepreneur, like clearly you are, can can tolerate being an employee because. Of course, you're 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 learning from them, and and sometimes the art of that type of entrepreneur is able to bring you in at their level, right? So that there's not the the ego clashes. So I'm sure all of that happened. But what was the thing that just made you know you have to be the the entrepreneur or the leader, or at that point wanted to do that and have the impact as you making it? So first of all, I'm sure I'm not the best employee that exists. I'm just doing what I think is right because it's really hard to leave the past and be able to make decisions quickly and, and owning that. But luckily, Guillaume trusted me and, and, and gave this uh, support to, to be able to deliver, uh, which of course helped check out back in the time. Uh, but really what drove me uh, to start Curve was I saw this opportunity in the market. Um, I started low. I, I know and I'm a bit geeky when it comes to that. I like reading judicial, uh, judicial cases. So I like to read cases by the judges. And you'll start to see a lot of cases come in from the European Commission around interchange fee regulation and open banking and access uh, rights. And you saw the market start to get ready to something big to happen uh, in payments. And that's the point of time I said um, that I can bring this idea I had in 2006 that curve, maybe let's open brackets for a second. Curve is an idea it's funny because my wife reminded me that two months ago, I, uh, I pitched it to her in 2011. Uh, this idea that I had in 2006 that I wrote an executive summary and decided eventually no go, it won't work because I think Facebook or PayPal will do that, which of course I was wrong. Neither of them have done so. Now PayPal started to talk about the super app uh, about 15 years later. And so I saw this market movement happening in Europe and the UK. I said, this is probably the right time to redo kind of this convergence game. And, and that was just inevitable outcome. I had to, to go and do it. It's, you just can't leave it uh, for your body. You think about it day and night. I didn't even know what it looked like. I just need something big is going to happen and I want to be part of that. So you're, you're on the Searching for Mana podcast. So, of course, we're, we're really passionate about fintech, entrepreneurship, but also people and careers and the inside of companies. You know, hearing you speak, clearly this is a real priority and passion for you too. So I wonder if you could now, for, for really the, the final part of the show, explain, the because we've got back up to the founding again now, we understand your background and why this is a passion for you. Really the, the growth of, you know, from no employees to, to now, you know, I got the numbers wrong. You have, uh, you have 300 and... 86 or whatever it is as of Monday, and it's, it's going to grow a lot. What, what's that journey been like? You know, to, to, none of the experience before prepared you for that. You were at checkout when, uh, when it was a small business, of course, huge now. So how's that been? How have you adapted? What are, what, is, is there some stories you could talk us through? It's been nuts. And, and we are where we are today because I had the remarkable people with me that supported me. 
uh, if it's Kate James, who's now got married and it's Kate Curtis, uh, who started as an office manager and now she's our VP people, uh, who helped me as my right-hand uh, woman to support this growth and uh, growth of culture in the company, provide challenges and feedback uh, as a CEO and, and the culture we're creating. But it's never an easy part to grow a company at this stage because one of the things you cannot miss is culture. And you have to build a culture that would fit um, the market needs, the type of market you're operating in, and the type of product you wish to build. So with that in mind, one of the first things I've done when I've created Curve uh, around April 2015 was to set down the leadership principles of the company. And they're not called values or just principles. They're called leadership principles for a purpose because we are all leaders in the company which ties into the type of the way we lead our people or manage them, which is leader leader approach, which I'll touch more in a second if you'd like. Um, and we set the leadership principles in the company to ensure that the culture that we set to build is very intentful. And we are calling out and recognizing people all the way from the top, including myself, down to the very last joiner to the company on those set of principles. So for example, uh, in, we're in a race towards convergence. What matters is speed. Therefore, we need to make sure we have bias for action because speed matters in business. So we introduce this principle. It's an example of a principle that you cannot train. You either have it or you don't have it. You have this energy in you and urgency or you don't. So when we hire people, we're checking examples in their past where they demonstrated their behavior. Another example of a principle, funny enough, that I would never introduce to a company I would create in Israel, but I would have to introduce to a company that I'm creating in Europe or the UK, is obligation to dissent. And every word in those principles are very carefully picked. We could also pick a different word, which is obligation to challenge or challenge respectfully. But we chose the word obligation and dissent because when you open the dictionary, Oxford Dictionary, and look at dissent, it means that you're challenging, even if you're the only one holding the opinion, even if you are very uncomfortable. And that obligation descent principle is really important because uh, as a CEO, uh, the level amount of information passing to me is limited. It looks something like that where people on the ground know a lot more than what the management team knows. And the management teams are the one making a lot of decisions. And, and of course, the, the job is to bring those decisions uh, downstream, which will, and there's another principle for that. So how do you make sure that you make a decision on the best available information? You give safety to the team to be able to challenge anyone in the team. And the job of the leader is to replay in their own words what the, the uh, uh, staff member, employee, uh, team member told them to make sure they, they, they understand each other. And then it's fine for the decision maker to say, I disagree, and everyone commits forward. Um, and that's a really important uh, principle that it's important here in the UK and Europe because the culture is such that people do not dissent to their managers mostly. Whereas in Israel, in the company Machshavot that bought us, in my first all hands, I remember there was a new joiner first day in the company. I'm sitting in front of all the company and saying something and the guy raises his hand and says, I disagree with you because one, two, three. And, and of course, it, it was welcome disagreement and I've answered why I disagree with him back. But the point is that it drives more innovation and it drives better decision-making. And, and with decision-making, in order to move fast, you need to make sure 
everyone feels comfortable to make decisions. And it's okay sometimes to make the wrong decision. We're not, none, none of us are prophets. We have to be rigorous and use data and put good judgment. But most decisions are two-way door. Over 90% of the decision I'm making, let alone my team are making, is a two-way door. So by giving the comfort to my team to make decisions quickly, it's very important for us to be able to move fast. Uh, so all those principles were set very early in the beginning. And of course, they evolved with time as the company evolved. Uh, and those principles are what make Curve unique as a culture. Not everyone fits the culture, uh, not because it's hard work. It's hard work in every uh, a company you would work. It really depends about who you are as, as, as a human being and a professional. Uh, but because we're looking for unique ingredients in people that makes them exceptional. And uh, that is hard work because you always have to become exceptional. So if people really want to become exceptional in their career and get the best training, coaching, and support, Curve is probably their place. If they're looking to, they're happy with their career where they are, they're not looking to grow, and they're uncomfortable in being comfortable. Uh, sorry, they're uncomfortable in being uncomfortable and growing. Probably Curve is not for them. But if they understand that being uncomfortable is a very natural way of growth, then Curve is the right place for them. And we're investing heavily and ensuring our people are very uncomfortable. We put them in a comfortable position because that's how they grow. I'm able to explain that when I go to the gym, it is uncomfortable because my muscle is torn apart and a new muscle uh, uh, recreated. And every time you grow, you're uncomfortable. And you know that when you're comfortable, it's your time to move on and grow. And we uh, are supporting our people to do that constantly within Curve. And sometimes we can't deliver what they need and help them find their future forward. If you're going to be in an environment which a high growth business that's innovating is, then the, the, the useful thing to get into the culture is, is a lightness about change and mistakes, because otherwise it takes, takes you on a really hard path where the whole time you feel like you, you're failing. And so, what you described there is, is a really great way of having a perspective that that's encouraged. Like we want to clash our stones because out of that, the best results will happen. There's an instinct that you can have, which is useful. But then there's also, in essence, ability to ask a series of questions similar to, to an algorithm. Whereas if you ask them the whole time, you also get some type of score that forms. And the best method is to combine both of these. And the reason I bring this up um, is because you're talking about hierarchy. And what people tend to think is that, you know, with more experience, their decisions better. And if you ask a, a group of people, what do you suspect, you know, an expert professional, you, you mentioned you studied law, perhaps in law, you know, how accurate are they with, with their, 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 their decisions? The, the average um, percentage you get back, what do you think that would be? that they get those decisions correct? How much they think they get correct or how much they actually get correct? Actually get correct. I don't know, 25%, 30? Yeah. So the, 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 the typical response is 5 to 10%. Uh, you've gone a lot higher. It's a flip of a coin. It's 50-50. 50-50. It's 50-50. Now, he explains that if you're in a scenario like fighting a fire, then actually instinct becomes really important. The more experience you've got, the more intuition from different examples that you've got to make that decision. Whereas actually in an organization a lot of the time, right, 
you, you, you're making decisions with some time if you're thinking ahead. And so to be able to have the individuals who are in the hour and in there's that going all the way up to the top most of the time, slowing things down. So the advantage of a high growth business is to do what you've explained, which is allow the, you know, the bright people that you've brought in, if they've got that willingness, like you said, to act quickly, to be able to do it. It's the absolute masterclass. And, and that's why I like asking about what's happening in the company as much as what's the user case, what's the product. Because five years ago, there were many neobanks that had you know, brilliant UX and brilliant ideas, and, and I'm sure lots of good things. And that is important. But also over a five, 10-year period of time, if, you, if, if you're patient and if you want to build something purposeful, then I think it's just, if not maybe much more important to get the organization slick, successful. And, you know, what I always say to my much smaller business is really like maybe my biggest aim is that, you know, I walk into the, the floor and I see, you know, busy people with a smile on their face. And that's really genuine. Like that's exactly what we want to achieve and keep on achieving because then, you know, everything's a pleasure and you choose the lighter path. So I really like that explanation. Just want to put that on top, and I'll put. And I'll that's put what I'm missing the, the most in, in in the pandemic is the energy we had in the office, which it's really hard to pass through uh, the screen. Uh, but now that the 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 UK have lifted a bit the lockdown, you start to see people coming back to the office, um, but 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 their own device, and and it's around 30, 40 people in the office and collaborating, eating lunch together, and talking, and information flow is much better, and the energy and it's just amazing. About decision making, what I'm telling my team is that if you waited too long, if you if you waited to have all the information in hand to make a decision, it's too late. And and it's fine to feel uncomfortable with the decision you're making. Just do it with passion and conviction. Understand that sometimes uh, you will get it wrong. It is fine. If it's easily reversible, move forward. We value calculated risk taking. And that's the way to move forward. And you also mentioned something about uh, failing and um, I, I was telling my team I'm a professional failure all I'm doing every, every time I'm trying to fail why because I'm putting my goals so ambitious that I'm unlikely to ever reach them but it doesn't prevent me from trying to reach them aim for the star shoot for the moon uh, kind of way and and I think this is what makes our team remarkable and that's what attracts the type of people we're able to attract because they understand that with curve We'll be able to grow and learn and impact like they've nowhere before. And it's not about the salary, although we pay in top market, uh, top, over the top 5% of the market, not the options that everyone gets options and very valuable and quite significant. It's really the ability to learn and give impact and grow within the company. So, Sasha, if I'm thinking about crowdfunding right now and part of the audience, or if I want to know what your big shoot for the stars vision is for the next and you choose the time frame but five years whatever it might be you know I'm, I'm not investing today for a quick buck this is not Deutsche coin this is let's grow, let's grow a really great business not saying that's not a great business but you know take what you will from that what's the big vision so if we're successful I want you to imagine an app store for money I'll give you a few examples of how it may look like. And uh, do uh, pre-register to a CrowdCube uh, uh, crowdfunding campaign because you will see in the pitch deck that exact vision in tangible user experience form 
Now, of course, it's just for uh, uh, demonstration purposes to understand how it looked like. So we can actually translate our vision to a page. Um, but it's, uh, it will explain to you what I'm explaining now. It will describe to you what I'm describing to you now, which is think of an after for money. Think that you're spending money with Curve and suddenly we prompt you, hey, Lloyd, we think uh, something there, one, two, three card is good for you. Would you like to continue? If you click one button, it's good for you because you can earn more rewards, reduce your borrowing costs, whatever the reason is. You click one, uh, you tap once, and a new card provisioned into your wallet, and you're able to use it immediately. No longer go on application and eligibility check and waiting two weeks for the card to arrive. That's the initiation of that. But then as we progress towards the vision, the outcome of that is that no longer those companies, those financial products and services, will just publish products to the wild or will publish their apps into their app store or play store. That if I have a new budgeting app, I will publish that on the Curve app store because Curve grants me access to a direct targeted audience of people that I can target. And Curve is able to grant me access to data and KYC I can long, no, not get, which makes our app budgeting up better because it automates everything better. So as a customer, I'm able to discover new apps and services and new products and services and finances. And with a tap, I would be able to have this app installed on my operating system, the Curve OS, hence our name, Curve OS Limited, and uh, be able to use that products and services directly from the Curve app. That's where we're going. That's what a super app means. It doesn't mean we ask you to leave your bank and all the services are proprietary to us. On the contrary, there are great companies out there. We're not megalomaniac. We just think we can make it much more convenient and much more valuable to both the customer and our partners. And the partners are able to target customers and access them to provide our customers an even better financial experience. And what's the goal? It's only one. Go and celebrate life. We'll take up the rest. Yeah, I love it. I, I love it. I just just gonna think, you know, that's a great vision. If that happens, then it's awesome. What are your or your either what are they or what is your biggest threat or challenge for that vision to happen? Speed of execution. Uh, we are in a race. There's great companies around us that are trying to now uh, converge towards the same position. Each one with a different car. I would claim ours is the fastest and the best, but it's still an execution because we have to constantly execute extremely well uh, in order to deliver that vision because the growth opportunity is so huge is that the amount of money we're generating is not sufficient to utilize the entire potential of the growth. So we always have to rely, always. We have to rely until we get a certain scale on external uh, uh, funds. And every time you're raising funds externally, the bar, of course, raises. Therefore, you have to move faster. Or as a joke goes in Israel, how do you win the Olympics? You start as fast as you can and slowly increase the pace. And it's not a joke. It's exactly what we're trying to do. And the way to increase the pace is by hiring smarter, training and coaching our team to operate faster and operate better. It's not by working harder. This is not a solution. I love that analogy. But what you can also do is you can eliminate various things from the big vision. So you could say, I'll be that for the UK, right? But you've not done that because organically it's, there was a demand in Europe and you've gone there. 
so then you could say, okay, let's let's own Europe. Let's let's take that out. But that's not the plan. You have global expansion. And I want to know why is that? I, I'm sure part of that is because your desire to have the biggest impact and the investor and the teams. And I understand that. But but also, you know, is it because you think that there will end up being one? Or, or maybe, you know, if you think of somewhere like Asia, maybe that would be a separate market. I'm interested in your view on that. But uh, why are you doing that? Why are you globally expanding? What's the thinking there? The prerequisite to this vision, uh, to be successful in that, is to have a huge scale of customers. Without that, why would someone publish any app or connect to us? So a large scale of customers is a prerequisite. The UK is a big market, not enough. Europe and UK is a huge market, sufficient for that. However, when you look at the most successful, successful companies that became category kings, they had to have the US as well. Of course, there's Latin, there's Africa, there's Asia. We believe in Asia, the game has already been decided. Two category kings emerge, IP and WeChat. Yeah. Now Gcash is kind of coming from the Philippines and Malaysia very successfully. But the Western world, Europe, UK, and the US, and I'm putting Latin America aside for a second, the game is on. It just started in the US. So if you really want to get to this immense scale, you have to decide your regions, where you want to win. And in those regions, you're going to have eventually only two to three category kings, nothing more. And even three is probably too much, probably nothing more than two category kings, as we see happening in Asia. And we want to ensure we're amongst those category kings. And therefore, we always have to put the bar higher and it does increase complexity to not only increase the product, deepen the product uh, uh, offering, but also deepen the widen the uh, geographic, geographic offering. So it does indeed increase complexity and execution risk, as you said. However, we have no choice. If you really this division we have, that's what we need to do. And as I said, professional failure, I never really failed those stuff. So I'm not, not intending to, not, neither my team, but the bar is high and that's what we're after. Yeah, so, oh my God, it's so exciting. It is. I'm going to be tuned into this. <laughs> my, my, my final question is really, you understand what mana is. Mana is your, your magic. It's the, uh, the essence of somebody. The reason the show's searching for mana is we're trying to, you know, present the landscape of entrepreneurs, founders, leaders in the space, and, and really show that there's a whole bunch of different people, different cultures. But, you know, typically, there, there's a really strong reason that that person is so driven and successful. And you're obviously extremely driven. What would you say uh, your mana is? Um. I think I'm able to bring greatness from people. I think um, I'm able to inspire them to try and achieve the impossible. And I think a good example for that, so it's not just words on a screen, is what happened uh, in uh, the morning of the 26th of June last year when Wirecard collapsed and the FCA uh, basically dropped the, their license. So yeah. many, many different fintechs in the UK got impacted uh, and Curve was amongst them. And at that moment of time, we knew that uh, within a few hours, the MasterCard will 
close all, all the accounts of Curve, our customers will not be able to access our product. We didn't know if, when the FCA will bring it back. So we had to basically do something that able to bring the best the business back alive. Otherwise, we dead in the water. All, all the shareholders' value is, is gone. Customers are able to use the product. So I had to brought my team. Uh, don't forget, we were, we, it was post-pandemic, was kind of three months uh, into the lockdown. We all working from home. Uh, I brought, I told my team, leave everything you do, jump on a call, uh, broke the news as straight as it gets, and told them we have to get back online as soon as possible, no later than Sunday evening. And uh, don't forget, banks are closed over the weekend. There's no one you can talk with opening safeguarding accounts. The FCA is not working, although a, a remarkable uh, recognition should be given to the FCA who worked days and nights for three weeks, including this weekend, to support all the various customers who got impacted because of this uh, decision to close Wirecard license. And uh, when we start to tell our partners, our processor, uh, our MasterCard, uh, and we had to find a new acquirer. We're also using Wirecard for acquiring. We didn't have any, any acquirer that we intend to come back online on Sunday. Everyone, including my team, told me it's impossible. And there's no way you can do that. Descent. Uh, told, yeah, <laughs> yeah, descent indeed. Which I told them, let's see if it's possible or not. We'll give our very best, even if it means we're going to die trying that. Yeah. Um, and that's where really you see also the strength of the relationships and trust we earned with our partners who worked over the weekend, MasterCard as a huge organization and apparently extremely innovative, proven to be over the weekend, was working day and night across three different geographies, uh, Russia, uh, the UK, uh, St. Louis, and uh, the US to flip on a bean that usually takes two to three months to flip on the account on MasterCard overnight, over 24 hours. Uh, we have to find a new acquirer. I pick up the call to the phone to Guillaume. Guillaume, I need your help. And we need to negotiate pricing. We need to sign a contract. We need to do due diligence. We need to onboard and integrate on your team. And we need to do it, everything by Sunday evening. Uh, we called all the various relationships we have with banks and told them, guys, we need safeguarding accounts. Spin off an account for us. And this is where Investor came and, and supported us over the weekend. The CEO called his team, woke them up on, on, a, on a Sunday morning, told them, you're going to work the weekend to get the bank accounts open for Curve and do the proper diligence for them to be able to operate. And the outcome was with a 60 hours straight, but the entire team, communication team uh, that operated and make sure communicating to customers, shareholders and, and partners and the operation teams operate on all the operational financial re uh, uh, challenges we have to overcome, our P-Tech team, our engineering team, everyone focused on one mission get back online as soon as possible to our customers because we don't know when we'll be back online, if ever, uh, because Wirecard just lost its license. And 60, fast forward, less than 60 hours later, uh, everyone are tired. Uh, we've managed to successfully launch back online. We've done the impossible. We've done what many companies think would take months over a weekend. Uh, and that shows you the strength of the team. It shows you what's possible. It showed them what's possible. And the outcome of that was remarkable. Much, we became a much more bonded team. So if until then, I was told my team, you have no idea what each of you are, are capable of. After that, I couldn't use it anymore because they all know what they're capable of, which <laughs> is if you set your mind to, to something, you can do that. And I think this is my... And it's, and it's so great because now they um, have that same mentality 
as you, then the next tranche of individuals who come in, that osmosis can can ricochet down to the to the yeah. to the to the to the new individual. So that's a brilliant manner and one of some of the greatest leaders when you're really trying to, you know, win Formula One globally as you are in this category, then then it's it's a great one to have. No encore from me, but if there's anything else you want to speak to, please let me know. No, it's very pleasant. I really enjoyed the interview. Uh, just uh, sign up to our crowd, uh, funding campaign on Crowdcube um, and join us as customers uh, and see you around in, in five years and the winner from Super App. Thank <laughs> Amazing. Thank you so much for coming on the show. All the best. Thank you very much, Lloyd. Thank you.